0: again to the Perimeter Church podcast. Echoes eventually fade because the sound waves being reflected lose energy. If energy could be put back in, the echo would continue as long as it had energy. We are part of the process that provides the energy for declaring the works of God from one generation to another so that the sound will never fade. Teaching team member David McNeely finishes the series Echoes with this message entitled Delay which covers Psalm 145 and Deuteronomy chapter 6. Thank you for joining us today.
1: I want you to know, uh, I'm I'm excited about this morning. We are finishing up a quick two-week series, and that series is on echoes. And echoes simply is just this. It's where sound goes off of one surface and comes back to its original source. Now, it can sometimes do that and, and not go back just to the original source. It can bounce off of this wall and go to this wall and this wall and this wall, and there. Places actually in the world in which sound will travel down a spiral staircase. It's really kind of phenomenal. There's six or seven places throughout the earth where this echo starts, it originates here, and it keeps going around and around and around, all the way down. And what we are called to echo, what we looked at last week, is very simple. Don't overcomplicate this. We as children of God are called to echo the greatness and the magnificence of God himself. We do that through song, which was done excellently here just a few minutes ago. We do that through spoken word. We do that through storytelling. We do that primarily and best through our lives, and our lives are lived in a direction that is Godward. Then we scream, even though we may not necessarily be talking. It echoes. And what we do here echoes actually all the way in eternity, not because we are clever, not because we are gifted, not because we have gotten it right. It echoes in eternity because God in his divine wisdom decided he would pour out his spirit on his people so that his people might live a supernatural and empowered life so that every generation would hear of the greatness of God. It started all the way in the garden, and then it kept going on and on and on. And there were entire generations that were trying their best to suppress it, trying their best to stamp out the greatness and the goodness of God. There are those even now in this day and age that would say we need to be a progressive in a society that would do away with these old religious myths. Paul talks about them in Romans 1. We talked about those that suppress the truth. They know who God is, but out of their own ego and pride, they try to suppress him down. And God says, good luck with that. I will share my throne with no one. And so whether we are intentional about trying to suppress it or whether we do nothing to try to echo, God will have his way. He will raise up generations. He will declare his greatness. And so you can fail. He will still do it. Now, hopefully where that brings comfort for you is if you have a child, you have given birth to or brought into your home through adoption that this child is in your home you love this child you long to give this child everything that you could possibly give to them and that which is most important to you your faith in Jesus they have not yet embraced and they may be an adult child and the encouragement that you need to hear from me because it is over and over again in the scriptures is this our hope does not lie in a system it does not lie in a method on how it is that we will echo our hope lies in the power of Jesus so Jesus is not through He said he's building his church. And I just want to go and beg him that he would include my children in that process. And I want to be faithful. I want to do the best that I can to pass it on. But it ultimately is not even about whether or not I pass it on. It's about God choosing to raise up, to replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh inside of my children, of our children. That they would experience his greatness. So We looked at Psalm 145. And then we looked at also the book of Judges. And the judges were, as long as they had a judge that was in place, they would follow the Lord. But I think what happened was this. That the people would follow that judge and and the fathers would hold this up and it would be their word. In other words, it was God's word. It was what they embraced as theirs. The children never embraced it as their word. It was still mom and dad's word. It never became our own. It was never personalized. God is the same God of Adam as He is of me. And so we want to be faithful. What we want to beg God to do is God make it not just up here for its might, make it theirs that they would long to place themselves underneath the authority of it, believe that what you have said is true. They would adjust themselves to this rather than trying to adjust this to them. So those generations. Would raise up, as long as the judge was there, they followed. When the judge went away, they became even worse than the generation before them. But God. You finally get to the end of Judges, and what it says is that there was no king in Israel in that day, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. God brought about prophets, he brought about others, until finally, when the fullness of time had come, he sent his son, Jesus, to scream the loudest. See, we all will fail in our ability to echo with pristine clarity. We all will fall down on the job. None of us will do it with consistency. And so Jesus came and he screamed the loudest, yes, with his words, but also with his life, until finally he cried out on the cross, it is finished. And that echo will never cease. It will go on and on throughout all of eternity. And if you are wise... You will hear that. You will submit to it. and You will say, yes, Lord, you will bow the knee of submission to the greatest name that has ever been given. The name that is above every other name where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want to just read Psalm 145. We won't go back over it again, but I do want us to read it once again, just the first nine verses, and then we'll make our way into Deuteronomy. Psalm 145, beginning in verse 1. It is a song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Now, the Lord spoke to David in a unique way. The Lord still speaks to us. He speaks to us through his word, but he also speaks to us in a still, small voice. We just know when we seek out and search his will that he guides us in certain ways to do certain things. But with David, he spoke in a unique way, just as he did with all of the biblical authors. They gave him his exact words, and they went down on paper so that all would hear them for all times. The scriptures even say about themselves that the word of the Lord will remain forever. The last part of this, though, was not a unique revelation to David. David was thinking back to generations long before him. He was thinking back to a time in which God had shown up on the scene with a man named Moses, and he said something about himself to Moses. He said, I am the Lord. The Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. David is remembering the covenant faithfulness of God. The steadfast love that's spoken of here has to do with the covenant that God made. It's the covenant he would enter into with his people in which there was a relationship that was developed. And there were were requirements on both ends of this relationship. It was not a relationship where only one person or one entity would do all of the investing and the other would get all of the benefit. In some ways, that is true of God and us, but it was a, a relationship that was based on, on there being requirements that were to be fulfilled. And here's what he says about his steadfast love. He says, even if you don't fulfill them, I will be faithful. Now Moses is the author of that. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me back to Deuteronomy. Moses has led the people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, out of physical slavery and into physical freedom. But it was not just about the physical slavery and the physical freedom. It was about a spiritual slavery and a spiritual freedom. They were going out of the bonds of slavery so that they might become full-on uninhibited worshipers of God. Moses, at the end of his life, he knows that he will not be able to enter into the promised land. The Lord had already told him that. His job was to lead them up to this place, and then Joshua would take over after that. But he is giving the last instructions. He is reminding the people once again, this is the voice of the elder statesman. The voice of the man who has walked with the Lord for years. The voice of the man who met with with God face to face as a friend meets with his friend. He's now giving instructions to the people. How foolish the people would be to not listen to this voice. And it's in this context that he's talking about this relationship, this covenant relationship that they were in many ways, you could view it like a marriage. They were married to God. They were saying there, there is no other God that we will go after. You are the only one that we will go after. This was the requirement from him. You can have no other gods. And I don't think anyone would say that that's too restrictive. If you would, just one quick analogy for you. Is it really too restrictive for us to say we should only be married to one person? Doesn't it make the most amount of sense? That there is freedom within this marriage, but yet there are requirements, there are stipulations, there are things that I need to be involved in because I love my spouse. So this is the direction Moses is going. Because of who God is, do this. Deuteronomy 6 verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, And be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. He starts out by saying, now this is the commandment. And what he's going to tell them is, again, in light of this covenant relationship, that the commandment that we are to go after is that you are to love the Lord your God. This is the commandment commandment the other things that he's going to tell us are how that fleshes itself out you know another way to say this maybe even a better way a better translation might be this is the charge he stands up and in a good way not accusatory but in a good way he points the finger and he says this is the commandment this is the charge that i give you in every wedding that i have the privilege of uh, of doing being the efficient of i have the husband and the, or the groom and the bride there in front of me, and and I love getting that part in Ephesians 5. I I ripped much of the charge away from our lead teacher, Randy Pope. It was because the very first wedding that I ever did, it was from a young man that said, hey, I want you to find out Randy's charge, because I've heard it a couple times, and just do it. I'll do that. I can't come up with a thought on my own, but I'll do that, you know, for you. After giving that charge, I said, you know, this really is good. In this charge, I get a chance to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, it starts out in the section that I read. It starts out by saying, wives, submit to your husbands. And I know in even saying that right now in today's day and age, there are many that would say, oh, great, you're one of those, aren't you? You're one of those archaic throwbacks. You're caveman. You're, You're here that thinks that woman is just here simply for the pleasure of man. And I want to tell you that is not what the Scriptures indicate. When I get a chance to actually say what the Scriptures are teaching, most girls' eyes open and guy's eyes open, they may not necessarily agree, but they say, Oh, okay. And I get a chance to give that charge, and in every wedding, I, I do this same thing. I have this little pause right at the exact moment when it comes to charging the man. And then read that section in, in Ephesians it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, we can talk all we want about biblical submission about a woman submitting in the right way not out of bounds from the script but in the the way that the scriptures talk about but i'm telling you if husbands would love their wives as christ loves the church trust me everything else would fall into place and it's a sad state in this day and age it's going on in the political world it's also going on in the world of athletics in which we have got multiple cases in front of us in our culture of men imposing their will physically upon women through Abuse. And that is wrong every single occurrence that it ever takes place. It was wrong 10,000 years ago. It'll be wrong 10,000 years from now. But just for a moment, imagine with me what it would look like if the church of Jesus would beg God for the power for husbands to love their wives as Jesus loved his church. We would have no abuse problems. Because men would be understanding it's our job to place ourselves up underneath her so that she might be exalted. We lay down our rights for her. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. The charge comes here to the people. You are married to God. Therefore, choose no other gods. Do you have other gods that you worship? I doubt very seriously that many of us in this room will actually have some sort of an idol that we put into our room and we bow down to it. I, I doubt very seriously we do that, but I'm confident that on a regular basis, my natural tendency is to worship acceptance, approval, comfort. I find those things far more engaging for me than it is seeing what it is that God has called me to do, and that is to worship him alone. That's the commandment. Moses even says that it's the commandment that the, the Lord has given me the privilege of teaching to you. It's not his thought. It did not originate with him. He just says, the Lord asked me to share these things with you, and so I'm telling you, please listen. There's an intensity here of the that that you may fear the Lord your God. You, your son, and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you all the, li- all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. So hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised. Here's in essence what he's saying is just one generation would sing to the next, who would shout to the next, who would declare to the next how great he is. And they would do this through their own stories. When that happens, the Lord pours out his blessing. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, we don't know exactly what it says. We we don't know exactly, let me say it this way, how to translate it because it could be translated in a couple of different ways. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how we translate it. The message is the same, and that is this, hear people of God, open wide your ears, but not just your ears, listen with your eyes as well. Listen with your posture in this direction as you begin to walk. I'm listening to the Lord as I am walking in obedience. It's not just that I listen to hear what he has to say, and then I'm going to make some sort of decision on it. It's as I'm walking in the way of the Lord, I'm listening, I'm hearing the Lord our God is one. There is only one true God. That's what He's saying. Sure, there are plenty of other worthless idols. Sure, there are plenty of other entities that are out there. There is no one like Jehovah. I did this with the with the uh, second grade class this past Friday uh, for E Day, and we were just talking about opposites. And so, I'd say, the opposite of black is, and they would say white. The opposite of good is bad, and the opposite of up is down. And I said, the opposite of God is, and they said, the devil. I said, no, there is no opposite of God. He has no equal. He stands in the solitude of himself. And what they say is, as people of Israel here, walk, listen, be reminded. There is no one else worth pursuing. There is nowhere else where we will ever find the satisfaction that our souls long for. So walk here, listen. It's a direction, but he says this. The command is not just that I love him only with my actions. It's that I actually love him with every essence of who I am, every fiber of my being. Love him with all of your heart, soul. Jesus would say later on, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's quoting this. With everything that I have, love him. Again, loving in scriptures, or with the heart rather, is not just an emotional response. It's the totality of everything that we have. words that I'm giving to you, I want them burned into your very soul. Burned way deep down inside. The word of God I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against him. I want them down here. And then here's what I want you to do with your children. First of all, I'm sorry, verse 6 is about us experiencing it personally. But then with your children, do this. Talk about them. Teach them diligently intentionally willfully with the plan don't just accidentally stumble upon it but work at it share this with them teach them diligently your children uh, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise so talk about them this when we are both inactive and also when we are active talk about these things about God about who he is his ways how he has been faithful to you Talk about this when you're on vacation. Talk about this when you come home and you're resting from work. When you're out on the golf course, talk about it with your son. Son, what a beautiful, glorious day it is. It's so great that God gave us this opportunity. To talk about it when you're doing nothing, but also talk about it when you're doing something. When you walk, When you are active, when you are at work, when you are pouring forth your mind, your heart, your soul into the task that God has placed before you with whatever your gift mix may be, talk about it then. Certainly, yes, the the family, uh, the family unit certainly is in mind here, but it's not just a family unit. It's those that God has put you over. As you draw others into your faith, as you walk, just simply talk naturally about what it is that God has done. First of all, talk about them. Second of all, bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. Meaning I think that what we ought to do is prominently display these things. Think of ways in which we can Um, put these out in front of our folks, I don't know that we should necessarily take this legalistically and and write something for my hands that I'm carrying around so that others can see what it is. I don't know that I should necessarily draw something in my forehead to put there so that I don't know that we should do that. If you sense that leading, I'm not going to stop you in that. Just be ready for the response that you get. But the point is, is that when others look into my eyes, they see what is the most important thing in the world to me. Display it. Put it on display for all to see. And then lastly, look at verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We should put them out there not just for our own self, not only for our own family unit, but we should also put it out there for the entire village that we live in. You should regularly be sharing with others what it is that God has done on your behalf. And we can do that and that will become natural to us if we're dialed in if we're loving him with all of our heart soul mind and strength it, it it will become very easy to do verse 10 and when the lord your god brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to abraham to isaac and to jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olives that you did not plant And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And when he does bless, the temptation will be when we get fat, dumb, and happy to forget who it is that actually brought us to this place right now. Turn to uh, verse 20. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. When the kids finally get curious enough to ask you why it is that you act this way, you just say it's because of God. It's because of his faithfulness. Now, this is the text. It's not a very complex or complicated passage, and it doesn't really take that much to see. But what I want to give us is the application here uh, real quick, and and then how we might flesh this out. So just very quickly, how it is that we delay this echo. and A delayed echo is just simply the amount of time it takes to go from that surface to this surface, and so... We want to continue this. How do we delay it as opposed to suppress it? Number one, do watch closely the faith of those God places before you. So whether you are in your 40s, whether you are in your 20s, whether you're in your 60s, it would be wise for us to always have somebody that's a little further along than we are. That we get to get in close proximity of and just watch closely. Watch those whom the Lord is using that where his spirit is alive and active, those that are surrendering themselves to the lordship of Christ, just draw near to them and just watch. Secondly, do live out your faith in front of those God places behind you. I'm talking about a timeline here. So yes, look this direction and, and observe them closely, but also listen over here, draw close to others who are a little further behind than you are right now that you might speak into their life, just simply live out your faith in front of them. Don't overcomplicate this. You don't have to be the most wonderful systematic theologian to have an impact on someone behind you. Just live out your faith. Just tell them who it is that God is and what he's done in your life based on what it is that you are reading in his word. One thing to make sure that we don't do and delaying this echo. Don't forget the faithfulness of the Lord. Don't forget that it is God who has done all of this before. It is God who will continue to do. Don't, don't forget him. Now, real quickly, let me share with you just some application about some opportunities that I would love to offer to you. Because all we can do is to, is to provide you with an opportunity. I can't force you to do anything Any more than I can force my kids to do anything. All I can do is to provide the opportunity for them. To take advantage of it. With families. If you are a parent. And you are sensing that there is. You're having a difficult time. Passing on your faith. To those behind you. The most important aspect of your life. There's good news. This is what I devote the majority of my time to thinking and praying about right now. So I'll end with that. But the first group that uh, we make an investment in in the young adults ministry is the college students. And here's what I love right now that's going on with college students. In 10 weeks in the summer, we meet over there combined with Camp All-American. And I have the privilege on most of those weeks to come in and to teach. And it's so wonderful and encouraging to watch the posture of those students. They come in and their posture is they're, they're leaned forward. And their ears are wide open and they want to hear from those who are older than them. They are not sitting back saying, oh, good grief, McNeely again. They may be thinking it. They're leaning in. They're saying, please invest into me. So we teach. We have a student that graduated last year who's coming in to help us figure out how it is that we minister to college students on a year-round basis, very excited about what he's going to be doing. After college students, we have this group called the 20s, we named them that because they're in their 20s. And this group meets on Thursday evenings, and we get together, and I'm seeing the exact same posture from them. There's some incredible things happening on Thursday nights, but this is the one that I was most excited about, Garrett Moore, who's actually over that ministry. You just share with me, David, we have nine groups of men in their 20s, nine discipleship groups of men that just want to be invested into. And the leaders of those groups are men that are past them. And age and stage. There's men that are saying, please live out your faith in front of me. I'll, I'll watch. We have a group called Right Start. Right Start has been around for a million years here at Perimeter. It's those for those that are investigating whether or not they want to uh, be married, or some use it as premarital counseling. And in that, we always have, or not always, but for those that choose this option, a mentor couple to walk through with them. So as they get a chance to realize that there's some aspects of marriage that are going to be difficult you got to mentor a couple to come and help you work through what those things are before you say i do the newlyweds are those who are zero to five years of marriage here at perimeter church and what we're trying to do is to set them off on the best possible trajectory when i first got into this position as Pastor over young families and young adults. I went to Randy Schlichting and Carl Wilhelm, and I said, guys, would you share with me what it is, the common areas that you see over and over again when couples choose to get divorced, to part ways, when they choose to break up that covenant? Can you tell me what it is that that, um, those common areas? And they did, and I said, hey, part of what we want to do then is to help couples develop the habits that are necessary in the first five years so that the two can become one. They can start on that road before kids get in the house. Because when kids get in the house, it gets exponentially more difficult to do. So every Sunday morning, we meet. Men like Bob Carter and Jeff Dunbar and others speak into the lives, and there's also facilitated discussion with these couples, and we're just walking through many of the same areas over and over again, how they develop spiritual, and emotional, and physical, and other aspects of intimacy with one another. If you're in your first five years of marriage here at Perimeter, please check it out. God's doing great stuff. A group of those men are getting together and they're holding one another accountable. They call it the husband school, which Bob Carter meets with them and just tells them about how do you develop that habit of pursuing your wife. There's another group called the young marrieds. This is a group that is for those who are looking for more connection with one another. It's just several couples that will get together on a weekly basis here at the church and say, how can we encourage and stimulate one another towards love and good deeds? It's speaking into the lives of one another. Great opportunity. The group that I spend the bulk of my time with is called Young Families. Most of you who are in this demographic don't even know that you're part of it. If you have children from zero to 12, you're a part of the Young Families. Now, who we're really targeting, who I'm going after with zeal, is those whose oldest child is 12 and under, And what I'm trying to do with a laser focus is to say, how can I help you become the primary or chief discipler of your children? And the way we do that is just simply by helping you to live out your faith in front of your kids. It may not take right now. They may not catch it right now. They may be too young, but I promise you they will see the habits that are in front of them. When I was a kid. Cannot recall a morning, unless my mother had a migraine headache, I cannot recall a morning in which I never saw that her Bible was open at the breakfast table, underlining highlights, notes over here for her journal in which she was taking about who God is and what he does. I never recall a time, from the time I was born to the day right now, that I cannot remember that my father was just a praying man. So whether it was before me walking into surgery in the eighth grade, or whether that was After receiving news after a football injury that I'd be out for the year or whether that was before mom went in for surgery or whether that was before the tornado that was actually hitting our house at the time I recall my father just praying out loud spontaneously just asking God for provision it didn't take when I was younger but as I got older I promise you the value of the word of God made all the sense in the world to me the value of praying before God made all the sense in the world What we do on Sundays just once a quarter is this thing called Young Families Connect and we are going to be in the gym next week. Just come and check it out. Rick and Nancy Beggs are going to share with us on the very first week about the fact that there's no one right way to parent. Your personality can be used in many different ways. We want to teach you how to simply live out your faith in front of your kids. Now, that's the Application. Let me just close with this story. In 1683, Francis Mackenzie started the first Presbyterian church in Maryland. And it didn't take long for there to be controversy to arise within the Presbyterian church. And so eventually there would be a split between the Northern church and the Southern church. And this is a gross summary, but this is by and large true. The Northern church no longer held to the inspiration and inerrancy of the scriptures, and the Southern church tried to hang on to that. But eventually the Southern church would also become liberal in its view of the word and so time came for men to believing that there was no way to bring about this denomination to repentance said it's time for us to start a new movement and there was a man there who gathered with the group in December of 1973 who had been in the Presbyterian church for 30 years and the chance was great that he would lose his retirement all that he had invested into it after praying with his wife he determined that it was worth it to lose the retirement, because better to lose the temporal rewards than to say no to God's word. And so he chose to remain faithful to saying that God's word is God's word. That was my grandfather. That was my mother's father who was a part of that crew that helped to start this denomination in 1973. This is his belt. And in every wedding that I do, I wear this belt. I'm not channeling energy there's nothing extra special that happens it's just about but it's a reminder to me that in every marriage I want to point people to Jesus he was faithful to hang on to the word there at that same meeting in 1973 was another pastor who was much younger he had only been ordained for just a couple of years he had a young family two boys The younger of the two at that point was just not even three years old. For him, it was also not an option to give in and to say no to God's word. He wanted to hold that up and say, I want to join this group of men who will be faithful to declare God's word. That man is my father, and these are his shoes. And in every wedding that I do, I wear my grandfather's belt and I wear my father's shoes, not again that there's anything I'm channeling. It's just a reminder of an echo My little brother gave me a Bible when I was in the seventh grade. I'm sorry, when he was in the seventh grade, and I was a senior in high school, and he bought that Bible with the very simple belief that I would just simply read the Word, then I would be healed from this life that was enslaved to alcohol. And it didn't take yet. At the end of my freshman year of college, I began to walk with the Lord, and freedom came. This Bible has been worn out. I don't use it anymore to preach and teach from the Bible that I will give one of my children one generation will declare your works to the next who will declare your mighty deeds to the next and my prayer is they would listen they would hear so that his children would walk in the ways of the Lord what do we want to echo Lord Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would convince us in the depths of our souls that you are worth pursuing with our whole hearts. So God, I pray that you would take our feeble and weak efforts to try to declare your greatness to those that you have placed underneath us, whether they be our actual children or those that you have just placed as our spiritual children. Would you take those efforts and would you multiply them? Would you fill them with your spirit to do far more than we could ever do? Lord Jesus, thank you for you, echoing for all of eternity, the greatness of God. We're putting forth on display the ultimate covenant faithfulness making a way for us to be related to you. So to you goes all the glory and the honor and the credit. We pray this not in our own name. We pray this in your name, Jesus.
0: Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.